Hello, everyone. We're continuing to look at these wonderful stories from the book of Acts, and I'm so tickled to get to share from Acts. It's, <laughs> it may sound a little silly, but when I was invited to speak and speak from Acts, I thought that's like chocolate pecan pie with vanilla ice cream on it. <laughs> I love this part of the Bible, and I know we all do as Christians. We love to read these stories about the increase of the church and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk today from Acts 4, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit changes everything. So let me begin by reading this passage, and then we'll just unpack it verse by verse. So starting at verse 1 in chapter 4, it says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. Ephesus, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that's the end of the passage. You know, the very central verse around which this whole passage rotates, is that line, verse 8, that says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. That's the linchpin, and everything else rotates around that, that the Holy Spirit in Peter enabled him to speak. And we want to think about who he was speaking in front of. These were the men that had turned Jesus over to be crucified by the Romans. So audience of great hostility. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to speak with boldness. Now, Jesus had promised that this would be the case. He had said, and we, we can read it in Matthew 10:19, for example. He said, when they arrest you, speaking of enemies, authorities like this, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking 
but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Those are amazing, comforting words, aren't they? Because we often can run into hostility and opposition and and people who don't want to hear what we have to say about Jesus. But Jesus promised when you run into those moments, particularly if they're as dramatic as this was for the apostles, the spirit will give you what to speak. In fact, he said, the spirit of the father will be speaking through you. He will put words in your mouth. You know, this this goes along with a wonderful promise that Jesus gave to the uh, disciples as he was preparing to leave the earth. You remember the verse in Acts 1-8 when Jesus said, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses first in Judea, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's one of the most amazing promises in the Bible. I can remember one time being at a meeting where a wonderful man, Charles Crabtree, was speaking, and he had some of his books for sale. And I had bought one uh, about the way to Pentecost. I forget the exact title, but it was like that. <laughs> and I asked him to sign it. And the thing he did is he put in the beginning, in the front page of the book, he put Acts 1-8. And I thought, what a precious inscription to have. Because I think that's the thing that we need more than anything is to speak. We sometimes will, if I can say this very bluntly, sometimes Christians will say, well, people know what I believe by the way I act. You know, if I if I bring my food to the food pantry or I give a check for this or I do some other kind of act, people know I believe in Jesus. And and so, you know, they're drawn to him by my kindness and my actions. And yes, amen, when people see that, they certainly are drawn to Jesus. And we need to be doing those kinds of things all the time. But more than anything, what we need is bold witness in this world. I don't mean unkind or rude or uh, beating someone over the head with your words. I don't mean that for a minute. I mean being, being able to speak the gospel clearly at appropriate moments so that we can win people to Christ and we can invade the darkness with the truth. So the Lord will help us have the words to say when it's time to speak up. And the Holy Spirit also gives us the timing, doesn't he? I remember one time I uh, we had a man who was working on our yard. We owned quite a bit of land, and we had someone to help us with it. He was a sweet man, but he wasn't a believer. And he was curious, though, about Christ. And he would often ask me some questions now and then. And one afternoon, I remember he came up to the porch, and he really wanted to talk. And we sat down on the top step, and he was asking me questions about the Christian faith back and forth. And I just felt the Holy Spirit, you know, it's, it's kind of that thing <laughs> You know, think of it like a submarine, dive, dive, (laughs) you know, it's time, go for it. And I felt that with this man. I felt the the Lord speaking to me. Now he's so ripe. He's so ready. Don't let this moment pass. He wants to find me. And so as we talked, I just really laid out the gospel as clearly and distinctly. And in words, I felt that this man could 
him that would really speak into his life. And he said to me, he said, Pam, would you pray with me right now? I do want to receive Christ. Amen. And right at that moment, <laughs> together, Amen. we prayed and he became a Christian. So boldness in speech is very, very important. And that's part of this passage that Peter and John were like, amazing. <laughs> you know, only a short time before they had been so fearful. Remember Peter being so afraid when Jesus was arrested and and. Uh, you know, not wanting to acknowledge that he was a follower of Christ. But now, filled with the Spirit after Pentecost, Peter's a powerhouse. And <laughs> John, they, they cannot keep from speaking the gospel, speaking about Christ, no matter what the danger coming at them is. So that's a huge piece of this passage. Another huge piece is the contrast we see between the kingdom breaking in that the disciples are interacting with. And so I want to look at some of those contrasts and kind of look at each verse in this passage a little bit more and point that out and then think about who Peter and John are and who we are in light of the gospel and Pentecost. So when we started this passage out, verse 1, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now, they're in the middle of teaching. <laughs> and the crowd around them is a crowd that's eager and hungry. I, maybe there's some hostile people in that crowd. But I suspect maybe a lot of them are just really drawn to the gospel. And they're very interested in what Peter and John have to say. So into this wonderful moment, the spiritual moment of learning more and growing and being delighted in the Lord, these authority figures crash in. And I can only think of a contrast right here. Peter and John, humble men, fishermen, men just work with their hands, and they're surrounded by people in their priestly garb with jewels, headgear, the temple guard with his uniform on. You know, I mean, if you've ever seen someone arrested and you see uniform people surround them and you see the lights flashing on cars, you know that's a moment of great crisis and fear. So the disciples are surrounded by these authority figures who are seizing them. Now, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That's verse 2 in this passage. That's the sticking point for the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection or the supernatural angels. All of that was not something that they adhered to. And here the apostles are teaching about the resurrection of dead, the dead and speaking of Jesus, the one that the leaders thought they had wiped out and erased from history. So verse 3 tells us that they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail put them in jail until the next day. So there's this drama. Peter and John are seized. They're surrounded by menacing authorities. They're put in jail. They're locked up. They lose their freedom overnight. But the contrast to that is in verse 4, where it says, Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, the last time we had a, a head count, it was 3,000. Now they're 5,000. The church is growing exponentially, despite the danger and the threat Amen. against the people. 
the church is growing. So there's an oppression, and the contrast is the Lord is enabling the church to grow like wildfire. The next day it says in verse 5, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So here is a council. Um, We have rulers, elders, teachers of the law. They're in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. The number of people or the groups that are named in um, this passage, it's 11, 11 individuals and groups uh, all together against these two men. And this uh, council gathered just as it had done for Jesus. And there they are, Peter and John are brought before them. And they begin to question Peter and John. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, when they're saying, how did you do this? The this they're speaking of is the healing that occurred in chapter 3. Man by the beautiful gate who could not walk, had not been able to walk for 40 years. Peter and John in the most wonderful miracle with the Holy Spirit working through them, had enabled this man to walk. They'd taken him by the hand and said, you know, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you. Walk. And the man had been, been able to stand up and walk, and he had gone into the temple with them, leaping and praising God and walking. Every aspect of him healed. A wonderful thing. You would think anybody would celebrate and cheer that this man had been healed, but that's not how the elders are responding to the situation. Instead, they're saying, by what power and what name? Who gives you the right to do this thing? That's what they're saying. And then it's at that moment where that wonderful verse 8 is, and it says, Peter, filled, said to them, or spoke to them. I want us to think about that for a minute because The disciples had that experience on Pentecost that's described in chapter 2, where they were filled with the Holy Spirit, where there had been a wind rushing through the room, tongues of fire over the heads of the disciples, uh, men and women speaking in other languages. They had been filled in that moment. But when you read this, you don't hear a sense of, well, Peter had encountered Pentecost, And remembering that, (laughs) he began to speak. It doesn't say that, does it? It's not a memory for him. It's the ongoing present reality. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, internally filled, but the Holy Spirit then flowing out from him. He is the temple of the Holy Spirit, as all who are filled with the Spirit are. That Spirit in a present, ongoing way. He says to them, rulers and elders of the people, Peter does not back down. He's not a shrinking violent. Violet. He's not frightened. He's not holding his tongue. He's not saying, I won't say anything. I'll let them handle the situation. I'm so scared. No, he's a powerhouse, as I said. He's on fire, and he speaks to them the truth. He cuts to the chase. No shyness. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account 
today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to pause there. I was just uh, interviewing yesterday a wonderful woman, Anna Werner, on my podcast. And Anna talked about a time she was in Africa with her husband. They were missionaries in Mozambique. And her husband became violently ill. And they didn't know what to do, you know, how to, how to get this fever down that he was suffering from. He had never been sicker, Anna said. And, of course, I mean, they were believers. They're praying, but nothing was seeming to work for her husband, Sam. Oh, Anna went into the next room, and she was just praying, Lord, I, I, um, I just don't know what to do, and Sam's not getting better. Can you help me? And she said she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, Anna, you just go in and sing the name of Jesus over Sam. So she said she went back where her husband was laying, and she laid her hands on his forehead, and she just began to sing, Jesus, making up a song. You know, she was just singing, Jesus, Jesus. And as she sang over him, she said his forehead became cool. She put her hands on his cheeks and began to sing the name of Jesus. And his cheeks became cool. And then his chest, bit by bit, the fever left him as she just sang, Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ, healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when Peter says this, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. He's making an amazing point. The name of Jesus is powerful. Drawing a contrast again, they crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. They thought he was dead, but he lives. Contrast is drawn in this passage. So Peter continues, God raised from the dead, and this man stands before you healed. He's talking about that lame man who was healed. He says, here he is. He stands before you healed by the name of Jesus. Peter continues and says this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. And he has become the cornerstone. Peter, the ordinary man, the fisherman, the man who uses his hands and fills boats with smelly fish, is quoting scripture and quoting it accurately. (laughs) He is hitting the target. Jesus is the stone that the builders, the so-called builders, rejected. But Jesus, who they thought they had destroyed, now is the chief cornerstone of a temple of believers that's being built up. And he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven which is given to mankind to be saved. It is through Jesus Christ that we are saved. There is no other way. There's no other name. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As Jesus said, I am the gate. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is powerful in that ancient world where Peter's standing before the leaders of Judaism, but around them are all kinds of religions and different countries, seeming ways to get to the divine, but they're not. 
And Peter does not hold back from saying that. Jesus is the only one through whom salvation is found. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, the next line is probably my most favorite line of all time. When it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They were astonished. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that's the reason why they were so amazing in what they could do. Because the healing, the power, the ability was coming from Jesus Christ by the Spirit through them so that they could do these extraordinary acts. I find that so comforting because sometimes we think, I'm just ordinary, (laughs) you know. What can I really do for the Lord? But the thing of it is, filled with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. And the most ordinary among us, the most ordinary among us can do great feats for God in the name of God. So you and I can be exactly like Peter and John. We can speak boldly. We can help the lame to walk. We can do that too in Jesus' name. We're able. I want to just tell you one quick story, and then I'm I'm going to wrap this up. And it's a story about uh, someone that we really know and love in the Christian world, a great evangelist, D.L. Moody. Um, Dwight Moody was an unschooled, ordinary man. He didn't finish his education. People talked about him and said he was kind of uh, uh, not a very smooth talker, and he spelled horribly. <laughs> but he built up ministry, and he's especially concerned to the least of these. You know, he was cared about kids who didn't have a home, who were out on the streets, um, built up schools for them. He was concerned about women and helped women. But there was a, a time in Moody's ministry before the Holy Spirit and a time after the Spirit. And I just want to read a short thing that Moody wrote about how he received the Spirit and the difference it made. Moody wrote this. He said, I, I remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings, and it was delightful to see them in the congregation. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression on their faces that they were praying for me. At the close of the Sunday evening service, they would say to me, you, I said, well, why don't you pray for the people? They answered, you need power. I need power? I said to myself, why, I thought I had power. And he writes, I had a large Sunday school and the largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at that time. I was, in a sense, perfectly satisfied. But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me. Talk about being anointed for special service set me to thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me, and we got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing from the Holy Spirit. And there came a great hunger in my soul. I didn't know what it was. 
I began to pray as I had never done before. And he says, I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. The hunger increased. I was praying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. (laughs) He had to tell God to back off. I went to preaching again. Different. I did not present any new truth. And yet hundreds now were converted. The Holy Spirit changes everything. Thank you. God's mercy so amazes me As I watch the world around